Um, we are here with Christy Brokaw uh, today in our lush recording studios. And uh, for those of you who may not know Christy, uh, we want to take some time and just kind of invite you to tell us who you are and how'd you get here. And um, we are going to talk about deconstruction, but, you know, hold off on that for now and just tell us who you are, what you do with your time. and Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do I do with my time? I do a lot of reading. I am Christy. I grew up in Abilene. I am an Abilene lifer so far. Um, 39 years so far <laughs> and um, married to John we have four kids so that's a lot yeah it's a lot of kids um, it is a lot of kids I concur yeah and during pandemic times it was like 27 kids um, it's like dog years pandemic years yeah <laughs> many more kids no, I'll tell no. I'll say that since we've moved to Abilene <laughs> We've run into, you know, Abilene people, oh, the people are so nice. The people are so nice. There have been a few people who are so nice, it's suspicious. Sure. And John and Christy are two of those people. But as far as I can tell, they're just that nice. That mm. is definitely true of John. I haven't run into any <laughs> any uh, nefarious behind the niceness yet. Because you've been looking. I've been looking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a naturally suspicious person. Yeah. But I think they're just really kind, nice people. People who yeah. put a priority on being kind. Yeah. That's Which great. Nice. It is nice. <laughs> kind is nice. <laughs> kind is nice. Well, and I grew up, uh, I, I grew up here. I did not grow up at Highland. I actually grew up Baptist. Um, and uh, so that is also a lot. Sure it seems we'll like you're. It. it seems like you're confessing that right now. I am confessing. You, you have that nothing right to be ashamed of. I still. I still sometimes will use the wrong words. You know, uh -huh. like sanctuary or pastor, Oof. and I will be corrected. Um, really? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. It's not the sanctuary. It's the auditorium. All right. Well. It's not the pastor. It's the preacher. We're all pastors. <laughs> so yeah. Um, sorry about I grew up that. Sorry about that. Very, very evangelical. <laughs> Evangelical Baptist, I was um, insufferable, you know, see you at the poll was not hardcore enough, so <laughs> I hosted a daily prayer meeting at my high school. Nice. Wow. Did you go to Abilene High? Yes. Okay. I, Abilene High. I, I've spent all my life in Church of Christ. Um, the Church of Christ I grew up in is very different from Highland Church of Christ, but I'm just curious from somebody who's lived a significant portion of their life in both, like what would you say on a practical level, but also like on a, a, a feel or like a sensed gut level, like what are the differences? Um, hmm. I think probably the best way for me to answer that is the ways that I appreciated the differences. So I, I appreciate kind of the iconoclastic nature of the church of Christ hmm. You know, I like that it's not like the sanctuary is holier than any other place mm. and that the pastor is holier than any other person. I like those ideas that yeah. we're all pastors in a way. We're all, I, I may not even be saying that right. This is what I've been told. No, I think you're, um, you're... So I appreciate that not um, putting an emphasis on the way the church looks or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> I do like that communion is weekly in the Baptist yeah. church. It is quarterly. Yeah. I don't know if many people know that. Yeah. <laughs> you have Lord's Supper Sunday and they mm -hmm. make a big deal about it, but it is only four times a year. 
uh, at least in the churches that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, so I, those are the practical differences. Also, <laughs> there was a funny difference, and I know that this is no longer true of Highland, but when I was in high school, I had a friend, spend the, a friend from Highland. Uh, I've always been Highland adjacent because I have sure. lots of friends here. Um, spent the night with me on a Saturday night. So she went to church with us on Sunday and, um, we had a, you know, full sanctuary orchestra Yeah, and she was like, that was amazing. Yeah. I feel like Highland is a pretty, like we have a lot of money in our church. I feel like we could probably get some instruments. Yeah. I wonder if anybody's ever thought of that. (laughs) Wow. That's great. (laughs) I was like, I, I don't think church of Christ uses instruments. I think it's like a thing. And she was like, Oh. She had no idea That's funny. growing up at Highland that that was a thing. Yeah. Boy, have we thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> We've spent quite a bit of time thinking about it. Uh, wow. Um, okay, so, uh, you know, we've invited you to talk about uh, deconstruction. I think Matt was the one that said, you know, I think Christy might have some kind of interesting perspective on this. And so you've kind of given us your, just your personal bio. What's... Like for, I think where one thing that we share an interest in is um, the stories of people's deconstruction, um, because I find personally that uh, when people talk about deconstruction in pretty sterile terms, it borders on almost dishonesty, where it's like um, you're not you're you're talking about what you believe, but you're not talking about why you believe those things, and and. I'm. I guess I'm just far more personally interested in uh, the journeys that have led us to deconstruction. So, if you don't mind, in the way that's most comfortable for you, like what's your what's your story of deconstruction and um, how'd you get there? <clears throat> okay, well, it's a lot of stories. So, great. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're prepared to edit. <laughs> well, um, and also, if you don't mind, like we might. Um, we might jump in and interrupt and just say, hey, chase that trail a little bit. Great. Okay. Uh, So like I said, I grew up very fundamentalist Southern Baptist. Everything is very legalistic. um, And I think that is something that the Baptist and the Church of Christ have in common. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think that is going to sound unusual to Mm -hmm. anyone. Um, And, you know, in Abilene, so very, it's an interesting, you know, being in the majority in our faith, but always being told that we were being persecuted, that you're, you know, you're in the minority, you have to stand up and defend your faith. Yeah. And that's from a very early age. I mean, vacation mm. Bible school, we would say the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag and the uh, Christian flag. Yeah. Which I thankfully no longer remember that, so... I have fully purged it from my memory. I don't know the pledge to the Christian flag. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a Christian flag. Oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah, there is, um, apparently. Yeah. And, um, you know, all, learning about missionaries was a really big thing, kind of almost hero worship of missionaries. Uh, and so I wanted to be a missionary. That was actually my goal in high school. I went on lots of short-term mission trips. Some of which, embarrassingly, I was involved in the clown ministry. Oh, <clears throat> I'd love to. Let's chase that. Yeah, let's hold on. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, very interested. So there was both a clown and a puppet ministry. Sure. Familiar with the puppets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tell us more about the clowns. The clowns, yes. So we were in high school. 
trained <laughs> clowns. We did little skits, uh, like, you know, very, uh, there's a guy on TikTok, Kevin James Thornton, who does these little auto-tuned TikToks. He's hilarious about and his- my fundamental is bad. Yeah. Yes, in the 90s. Every single one of them, I'm like, did we go to the same church? <laughs> wow. Because it's literally every story he tells, I'm like, yep, check, check, check. And he talks about the clown ministry. And I can't remember how he says it, but like very um, smug skits, uh-huh. but as clowns uh-huh. to like where you would play the role of different sins. Uh, we got to choose our own clown name. And if this tells you anything about me, my clown name was Agape. Oh, oh my. <laughs> yeah. Folks at home, agape is one of the five Greek words for love. <laughs> new to this. I told you it's tremendous. it was inseparable. Can I, can I was tell Was anyone you? named like Koinonia the clown or... Philadelphos? <laughs> real, real fun clowns. Oh, man. There's, a lot. Ju- There's a lot there, Christy. Yeah, yeah. I just came, I just came up with a tagline. Saving souls through seltzer water. <laughs> Did that, was that ever on the table? Did we ever? Oh, uh, we're making fun. We could have. Did any skit end with a clown saying every head bowed, every eye closed? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> but I mean, when I tell you, like, we would travel, like, I went to Anchorage, Alaska as a clown. Um, and we would do VBS. <laughs> now, what, now I, you didn't you know, fly on the plane as a clown. No. Okay, <laughs> no. you brought your clown stuff in a suitcase. I brought my clown stuff in a suitcase. We were allowed an extra carry on if we were in the clown or puppet ministry. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> the only reason this is so funny is because it's like it's so similar in so many ways, but it's just that there's one detail that's different, and so it's funny. Yeah, but like. It's really like, you know, the only reason why humor ever strikes a chord is because you relate to it. You're like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's just somebody in the Church of Christ world that's like, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man. Yep. So, I love it. So I was a teenage clown. Now, I can still make balloon animals, and so that's, you know, useful Some now that I have to. Totally. Yeah, yeah, I save a lot of money at the calf festival. I don't have to buy balloon animals for my kids because I can make my own, so... That is terrific. Okay, so we derailed you. You were telling us that you were (laughs) in the clown ministry. To do short-term missions. To do short-term missions. Lots of short-term mission trips. I wanted to be a missionary. Um, I think missionary work, misguided or not, always comes from a really pure place. Yeah. And it it was, I mean, it was a pure place. and, And we had, you know, really good intentions. Um. But there was just so much wrong with it. And I started working in church work while I was still in high school. Those Mm -hmm. were my first jobs. Mm -hmm. I taught Sunday school at a church in Noodle, Texas. um, And they paid me to drive and do Mm -hmm. children's ministry at this tiny church in Noodle, Texas. And then I worked as an intern at my church, which was a pretty big church. And then there was a parachurch ministry that I worked for for several years starting in high school. And it was meant to be a ministry for teens, by teens, um, and lots of problems with that model. Sure. <laughs> uh, lots of immaturity, um, not a lot of training. The people who were directing the ministry were themselves in their very early 20s. Yeah. And um, that ended very badly. Oh. 
it did not go well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so deconstruction really kind of started way back there in my teens and very early 20s um, with that job. And it was because of that job that I didn't go to college because I believed that, you know, like, well, I'm already doing what I'm, you know, doing mission work yeah. um, in my town. And I wish that that had not happened. You mm. know, that's a regret. But, um, you know, I love to learn and I still like to audit classes and, you know, read as much as I can, do things online. So maybe someday, but um, yeah. it does feel like it, it put me in a more vulnerable position, you know, in life. Um, <clears throat> John was a volunteer at that ministry and that was another good thing that came of it. Yeah. We got married and even though we got married really young, we got lucky and chose really well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I would be a little freaked out if my own kids got married at 21 and 20. Right. But, um, but it worked out well for us. So I'm grateful for that. But, um, there were some specific wounds that happened around the end of that job. Uh, I'm trying very hard not to say the name of the church or the ministry, but um, I might slip up. Uh, <laughs> we'll just bleep it out. I mean, it wouldn't be too hard to figure out. But um, the the reason that that whole thing ended was because of a very serious crime that was committed by our director and swept under the rug by the church. And um, the way that they handled it was to shut everything down, fire everyone, and pretend that it never happened. And a few years later, you know, I started hearing the information that the church had kind of leaked out to other people, which was a completely false story, yeah. um, just to kind of cover their tracks. Uh, that church has a history, you know, more things that we've learned since about other men in that church and across the Southern Baptist right. world who, you know, the church knew things that happened and they were swept yeah. under the rug. Um, personally, I remember going into the pastor's office to say, <clears throat> you know, I'm concerned right when everything blew up. I'm concerned about the things that are being said by our ministry head. Uh, you know, he's, he's not being truthful and these yeah. are, you know, lies. And immediately there, I mean, there were several things in the course of that meeting. One was that um, he asked his secretary to come in because he couldn't be alone in a room with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was like, wait, what? Yeah. That immediately, you know, kind of put me in a weird position, like, well, I, you know, didn't think I was a threat. Right. Um, and then he immediately shut me down. You know, I got a few sentences in and he was like, well, you need to take this up with him personally. This is not scriptural. And it was just this lack of care for the, the kid, the teenagers involved in our ministry. The, and I should say, I mean, this was very, I, I'm not blowing it out of proportion. No, it doesn't sound like it. It was an extremely volatile situation. And they told us that we would continue, you know, mm. working with the youth and that they would, you know, be bringing in someone else and that yeah. there would be all of this stuff. And then when we left to go pick up, there were several kids that we would pick up from middle school, middle schools and high schools and bring yeah. them to the ministry after school every day when we left to go do our school pickups, they changed the locks. 
And we came back and had nowhere to go. I mean, it Mm. was that, (laughs) um, it was that kind of thing. And so then to go into the pastor's office and say, are you aware that this is what is happening? You know, (laughs) and it was like, no, this is inappropriate. You shouldn't be bringing this up to me unless you've gone to your ministry director with two or three other witnesses and, you know, all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was just, which is such a power differential, right? Like, yes, that. The Matthew 12, I think, thing he's pulling on you assumes that we're dealing with equals. Right. But you were, uh, he was asking you to punch up quite a bit, which is pretty close to the definition of manipulation. So it was fairly devastating. And um, from there, you know, I, for many years, did feel like, I mean, it, I felt like we were equals in a way. I felt culpable. I felt, you know, like I should have seen what was going on with this director, who was a very close friend. Yeah. Um, you know, it was hard to navigate. I was 20 yeah. years old. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, which again is the problem with having people heading at ministries whose uh, frontal lobes are not fully developed. Um, it was traumatic and... It took me many years to figure that out. We ended up at another church that just, they were the ones who took us in. Yeah. They were the ones who said, well, you can bring, you know, these youth here because again, the locks had been changed midday. And so that's how we kind of, we ended up at a, you know, small charismatic church doing youth ministry as the worst youth ministers in the history of the world. I mean, we were just terrible, Yeah. Uh, but we were also volunteers and we had full-time jobs during the day. And then had to do, you know, Wednesday night youth group. <laughs> it's a lot. Sometimes we would be like, maybe nobody will show up and then we can just go home and right. go to bed, which is really not the attitude you want to bring to ministry. <laughs> no, but <laughs> it's something you think through when you're weary. Yes. And it sounds and like we you're still, weary. yeah, it sounds like you're still dealing with the shock and the fallout of. Right. You didn't, you didn't have a, a beat to process everything that just happened. And, you know, I would say something that I'm grateful for, though, in those years when I was young is that those teenagers that we were still with, they were the ones that brought questions that my legalistic upbringing, Mm. my faith couldn't answer. Mm. And I loved them. You know, that was and I, I didn't. I didn't want them to feel unloved. I didn't want them to be left alone. Yeah. And I have regrets about some of the things that we taught, you know, the things we repeated. Sure. But I don't have regrets about how truly we loved them. And we still have relationships with some of those kids. And, but they led us, they taught us, you know, they asked questions that we had never been allowed to ask, invited to ask, you know, we had been so sheltered in, um, in our upbringing and, um, and so they really led the way. And I think <clears throat> going into deconstruction, you know, as I go into my like twenties and thirties, it started with that trauma. And then there was a lot of like, you know, confusion. I do, I hope this doesn't freak people out. You might want to edit this out. Um, but I'll tell you anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do believe I'm a skeptic naturally too. And yet, um, I do believe that God has many times in my life spoken to me through dreams. Hmm. 
And um, a couple of those time memorable times happened in my 20s, you mm-hmm. know, when I was still sort of, I guess, deconstructing that whole volatile situation. Um, and one of them was a very vivid dream that I remember having where um, there was a man in the stream who was telling people that he was Jesus and all of these people were following him. And I was like, but you're not Jesus. And, and people are like, you, you don't have faith. And I was like, no, I know Jesus. Mm. And like, this is not Jesus. Mm. And I was so upset in this dream because I was like, you're lying. Yeah. You're, you're telling these people that you're Jesus and you're, and you're not. And I remember telling our pastor's wife at this little charismatic church about that dream. And she said, well, I think that dream means that you're not secure in your salvation. And I was like, it's mm. a reach. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's not, that's not what I was getting from yeah. it. Yeah. And her advice was, I think you read too many books. I think you should just take a year mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. read nothing but the Bible. Yeah which I was unable to do. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I'll try. Yeah. And, and John immediately was like, well, that's not going to work. Yeah. You're going to go crazy. Right. But, um, but I look back on that and I'm grateful because I feel like I always knew, I always had a way of knowing that's not Jesus. Yeah. There's something wrong here. And, and I think a theme in my life and in deconstruction is that, what it came down to was um, that I believed so wholeheartedly in the fruit mm. and that the things I was taught, the things I grew up with, they weren't bearing good fruit. Mm. The way that, you know, that legalism worked out, that, you know, scripture being thrown as a bomb, mm-hmm. that wasn't good fruit. Right. It, and the things that we were trying to repeat and teach weren't answering the questions that these teenagers yeah. had. Uh, they had difficult lives. They didn't yeah. have parents who kept them safe like we did, mm-hmm. and and our trite answers weren't enough. It wasn't it wasn't good fruit. And you know, when I look at the way that we lived, the way that I was as a teenager, the way that I've been my whole life, you know, anxious. So much was, you know, the fruit of of the way I grew up was fear, mm-hmm. and it was discomfort, and it was um, you know, it was anxiety anger. I was, it was very hard to control my anger as a young mom, um, without therapy. (laughs) And it was, um, you know, judging other people. And you look at, you know, the fruit of the spirit is peace. Mm -hmm. You know, it's love, it's kindness, Mm -hmm. uh, it's gentleness and it's, you know, Mm self-control. And, and that was not, the fruit of what I was living in. And I think deconstructing that stuff and rebuilding has brought me, you know, peace. Hmm. It's brought me joy that I didn't have before. Uh, love. Uh, I'm blessed that you, you've shared that with us. I identify with a lot of it. I think one thing I kind of hear in your story is sometimes institutional church struggles with um, being a self-aware of the difference between itself and God. Yeah. And institutional church has to purport itself as God. And so when young people especially have the realization that 
there's a difference here. Um, the church really kind of reacts negatively to that and holds on to it. But it's it's beautiful, ironic that the the very questions that uh, saved you is maybe too wrong, harsh of a word, but the questions from yeah. these young people that um, kind of rescued you out of that disillusion is uh, the very questions that are only safe in a deconstruction positive attitude. Yeah. And uh, that's why, you know, I think like, I get kind of angry sometimes when I hear like mega past church pastors talk about how immature deconstruction is. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, there is some immature forms of deconstruction, but there's also some pretty immature forms of church. Sure. And uh, like your your story just seems like such a natural and healthy, um, faithful response to the being aware of God moving around you. And you know, you you identified God in in these young these young kids are asking like questions that were far more on the nose than yeah. the way you saw church institutional <clears throat> church leaders leading. And that's why like, yeah, no, it, deconstruction is a healthy, normal, natural part of realizing um, churches are doing the best they can, but they're not God. Right. <laughs> yeah. I also love that there's, there's so many ways to kind of, there's so many kind of ways to kind of find a gateway into deconstruction. Like I think you've talked about, grad school being kind of, uh-huh. you know, studying with people who had studied their way out of faith and studied their way back into faith. <laughs> the safest, gentlest way to do deconstruction yeah. possible. <laughs> I, I entered through deconstruction in, in kind of being party to suffering that I couldn't understand yeah. and feeling kind of abandoned by not being able to see that fixed. You through that trauma, and yeah. but I think one of the key components is that, like, you can really only avoid deconstruction by being completely inwardly focused in the church. Mm. Like, anytime you, mm. your focus turns outward and you start having kids ask questions that they don't know are not church questions, <clears throat> or you start really digging deeper than you can on a Sunday, right? Or you find yourself going, these formulas aren't adding up. Um, and that's really the only way to find something real. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes real is really uh, scary at first. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like because you loved them, you couldn't ignore their questions. Yeah. Right. And so, like, that's a beautiful sentiment that love brought you to deconstruction. Yeah. Well, and... And I think, you know, you talked about mega pastors talking about the immaturity of yeah. deconstruction and they like to disparage it. But I think it's also everybody that I know who is in the process of deconstruction and reconstruction mm -hmm. is um, they, we were the serious ones. We were the ones who would put on clown makeup and go to Alaska or <laughs> Minneapolis. Yeah. You know, and I think about like, there's a story in the Bible after Jesus was murdered and resurrected that he's like come to a couple of disciples and they're walking on this road and they don't recognize him. And, yep. and Jesus is like, Hey, the vibe is like really weird around here. And, yeah. and they're like, well, haven't you heard you know, yeah. this whole thing that's happened? And, and there's this thing that they say where they're like, well, we just had all these hopes, yeah. you know, like we had hoped all of these things 
that this like this guy was gonna save mm -hmm. us and then like instead this horrible thing happened and that's how it felt you know like we had all of these hopes and we had been raised with these values that had been given to us by the church and then the church didn't uphold those values yeah they didn't mm -hmm. you know they didn't have the fruit of the spirit yeah <laughs> um it was judgment and legalism and you know they would say something was love but it didn't feel like love yeah um i mean it didn't feel like love to those kids yeah and uh you know it was unkind and it was it was bad fruit and it was just like but we you know <laughs> we had these hopes and we hoped that the church who gave us these hopes who yeah. said this is what you should hope for would have followed suit you know that jesus right. loves everybody and right. then when that didn't happen something had to give and i'm thankful that for us it was the institution that had to give yeah. instead of jesus i don't judge people who are like i don't believe any of it yeah because that hurt hits different people differently yeah. right right no, in that in that story too, it's so always so beautiful and strange to me that the institutional religion killed Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus raises from the dead, takes his followers back to the institutional church. <laughs> they try to they try to res, uh, lead a a restoration in the synagogue, and they do that for about uh, seventy to one hundred and twenty two hundred years until they're kicked out of the synagogue. That's not, that's a bad timetable. They get kicked out of synagogue way earlier than that, but I'm not very smart. Um, but it's like the, the faithfulness of Jesus and Jesus's followers to the institutional church um, demanded that the church become its full. And it's not the church at the time. It's yeah. faithfulness to the synagogue and to uh, the Jewish institutional church, synagogue, uh, it loved it enough to demand that it change. Yeah. Until the church said, just, you know, we're killing you and you get out. Yeah. Um, and because I think that's kind of one of the things where I am, where it's like, boy, the church, I mean, Augustine, right, said, uh, I'm not going to use the actual words he used because it's kind of not podcast friendly, but he, <laughs> the, the church is uh, an unfaithful spouse mm -hmm. and she is my mother. You know, I, I, I don't have any other option but to realize that the reason I have hope in Jesus right now is because of church. And because of that, I love it so much. I, I really need it to change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing we, Matt and I have talked about before is like I, I, I've stayed with church because I don't have any hope in me being able to re, uh, be a part of its reformation from the outside. Same. Um, but sometimes it'd be a lot easier to just be done with it. Yeah, it would. Um, <laughs> this is the part where we realize that we have a guest and we're talking too much. <laughs> well, it would be easier in some ways, but we, you know, one thing is, yes, we can't exert any change from the outside. Right. But also... I, I do still feel like I need to not curate my own bubble. Oh, yeah. Like I do, sure. there is a challenge in continuing to be in fellowship with people who are different from me. 
um, and hearing things that are yeah. that are different. And that is a challenge that I I feel like I would be worse off for giving that up. Yeah. Even though it is very difficult at times. But that said, I would never go back to the church where I experienced, mm-hmm. you know, spiritual abuse. Yeah. Um, that is a different situation and I wouldn't stay and try to change that church from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that I'm hearing from you that I've had to learn too, which is a, a feels like a real grown up thing to have learned, but like, it's okay to have boundaries. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I think one, one thing you're saying, I've heard Richard Beck say a way I really like is uh, I can, I can tell I'm, I'm going to blow this, but, um, Unlikely friendships is a sign of spiritual maturity. Is a sign of being a part of, of a of a larger body. Yeah. But it's also okay to like have some things in mind. Like, well, when this happens, that's not having unlikely friendships. That's not um, living a cruciform life where my needs aren't the most important thing. Like, that's unsafe. That's unhealthy. That's abuse. Yeah. That's where I, I draw the line. I think that's really really okay. Um, okay, so Christy, what's something right now that like is in the, uh, okay category for you? Like I'm, I'm deconstructing this. Um, I don't, I, I, maybe I don't know what I believe right now, but I know I don't believe about this that I, that I, I don't have the faith that I was given. Hmm, I don't know if you really want me to answer that. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to edit out a lot of things I've said. So yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I don't, um, I don't believe in hell. Okay. <laughs> um, I just don't. I, I, I truly believe that, um, that everyone will be redeemed. I do. Yeah. And, um, and that is definitely not, you know, what I was brought up with. I, I just, I don't, I believe a lot of the Bible is poetry. I don't believe it's literal. Yeah. Um, I don't care if my kids cuss as long as they're kind. Um, you know, they can't like be mean to other people. Yeah. But like if they drop something on their foot and they want to say a swear, I don't care about that. Um, (laughs) I just, so many things are, are so different than the way I grew up. I let my kids wear whatever they want to church, there are certain rules that they, and so you've probably seen how my kids look insane. Um, but I believe that like what I tell them is there are certain like rules and social norms that you have to follow at school. Cause that's one of the things you're learning at school. Yeah. And so you have to follow like a dress code at school, but at church you can wear whatever you want and everybody has to love you as, hmm. as you are, or it's not church. Oh. You know, they're wrong if they don't. Look yeah. So like, if you want to wear a crop top to church, I think that's fine. Um, <laughs> no more like Easter scratchy socks and mm. you know stiff shit. Well, you guys don't know. Um, oh no, no, no. <laughs> we had we had Easter. I had Easter there special. Were cer- certainly things that I was not a fan of wearing to church. Yeah. Okay. One year, but my brother and my dad. We had. Go ahead. Oh, we didn't have quite the stringent things yeah. that like you didn't have pantyhose or my socks sister with lace. had to wear probably yeah. One year, my brother and my dad and I had the same three matching three piece, uh, like jacket. And like, we just, we laugh about that so much to the family now, because it's like, I wore that once I ruined everyone's day because I was so mad about it. 
And it was just like, I, like in the pictures, like my eyes are red because I've been crying and like everyone else is like not happy. And yeah, maybe that wasn't like, I don't know. Well, maybe I was a jerk too, but, <laughs> but no, we're, that was, that's something that, um, Baptists and churches of Christ, I think shared is yeah. wearing your best for Jesus. We're not going to talk about Easter in my home church of Christ, but we dressed like we were going to. Right. Yeah. Dress for Easter. Oh, the Church of Christ doesn't like do big Easter. I forget that. Okay. Um, we, did, we didn't it's growing up. Weird. Yeah. It's almost like a similarity with Jehovah's Witnesses. We're just like, well, uh, we celebrate the resurrection every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. If there's a we Sunday. We can't know for sure what the date was. Oh, like that was a big deal. The bowl, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm spiritual enough that I do this every I, day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I always pray at school. This and, isn't that special for me. Right. <laughs> right. Which is, which you mentioned this earlier about like, there's not, there's not some places that are holier than others. I have to wrestle with that a little bit. Um I don't think that like we get to designate what's holier than other places, but there are times in my life when I have stepped on holy ground without knowing it. Oh, absolutely. And, but, but I had to, I had to deconstruct that because like if there was a Christmas that was close to, if there was a Sunday that was close to Christmas, it was like, well, it's, you know, (laughs) December 24th. Just like every other Sunday, we're glad you're here. Uh, let's sing "Low in the Grave He Lay" because that's we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. And so, wow. <laughs> like it, it totally ignored the rhythms of life. Yeah. Um, which I think you know are baked into the creation poem mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that there are are natural rhythms of what God is doing and following those rhythms is a way of living out of pagan time. It's a way of living ordained time. And, yeah. uh, uh, boy, the end, I think I had a point. I had lost it a little bit. I, I have picked up a lot of those practices, the, you know, Lent. Um, I can't, what's the one that comes before Christmas? My words are Advent. Advent, Advent thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Words are gone. And I do. I remember going to Romania on a mission trip when I was in high school and seeing the icons. You know, I said I appreciate that the Church of Christ is iconoclastic, but I also really loved, you know, those those icons. And that was kind of a first taste of that. Like, you know, having some ritual, I think, is really good. That's something that I've picked up and that means a lot to me. It means a lot to our family. Yeah. well, we didn't realize is that we had rituals. Mm-hmm. It's just that either they were uh, rule rituals that were far more ordained by the principalities and powers of the world, mm-hmm. or they were these like anti-ritual rituals, which yeah. are still rituals. Still rituals yeah. <laughs> and so we almost ironically were living uh, in constant state of deconstruction. Interesting, yeah. Because we we're just tearing down. I mean, it was very... Uh, it, where I grew up in the Northwest was very anti-Catholic, mm-hmm. was very anti-Mormon, yeah. and so we were often defining ourselves more often by what we weren't. Yeah, which I maybe you know segue into the next question we like to ask people because I think it's so important to be aware of when you are deconstructing, you are simultaneously always building something back in its place. Yeah. 
so be in charge of that, right? Let's be be aware of it and be in control of of what you're building back. So, Christy, what are what's something that you are moving towards believing that's hopeful, life giving? What are you building back? Um, I'm gonna answer this question by telling you about another dream. Please. <laughs> Which, um, by the way, you said earlier, maybe it freaks us out. Dreams our scriptural way that God talks yes. to us. So and yet people yeah. tend to be a little bit Yeah, <laughs> I know. I get it. I it. Um, I'm I love that you pay attention to your dreams. Um but I had a dream recently. This was just a few months ago. And I had gone back to the church where I used to work uh -huh. uh, for a choir concert for my child. Um and they they were performing there and, and I had to take him and you know I had to like go down the hall to find him. <laughs> and it was just, you know, like walking down this place and, and later that week I had this dream where um I was going in the dream to a choir rehearsal myself mm -hmm. and in the dream I had been I had not eaten all day and I think I was you know you know how dreams are you're you just like know these things um I, I guess I was young enough that I was um aware that my mom had not given me anything to eat and I was hungry but I had all these things to do and, you know, this list and it was like, okay, well, eventually, you know, I'll get to eat. I got to get mm -hmm. through this rehearsal mm -hmm. and I'm driving around, you know, the multiple buildings of this big church trying to find a place to park. But I was very specific that I wanted to park somewhere where I could get out, mm. that I didn't want to be blocked in. And um, eventually I found a place to park and I parked like across the street and walked and I walked into this building and there are all these people going in and, um, I'm trying to find a place to change because I have to change into this uh, like choir robe type thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I finally found, you know, this room to change in. And it was a room with like multiple bunk beds, okay. <laughs> uh, which doesn't exist in that church, just total creation of yeah, the dream. Right. And um, everybody in that room was either a woman or, um, you know, like a, like people that I knew in my youth who were like closeted gay men, mm -hmm. or there was one person who was um, a transgender mm -hmm. who I knew in high school that was in there. And all these people are in there kind of milling about. People are, you know, changing clothes. And, um, and then when it was, you know, time to leave, I had changed and I was, I was trying to, to leave. The door was so heavy mm. and, and there were several of us trying to like open this door and oh, there were also many people who were uh, disabled in the room. Mm. And there was a woman in a wheelchair who was also trying to like hold the door open and we're all trying, you know, like she's pushing hard, like pulling hard enough that she's like lifting out of her chair and we're all kind of, you know, it's like pulling and then like pushing it open. And, um, and we just kept saying this door is so heavy and there was a conversation around, you know, how hungry everybody was and nobody had been fed mm. and it was, and we were trying to go. And then I said, wait a minute, I have a car. We can just leave. If we can get this door open, we can just leave. Mm -hmm. And it was this feeling of relief that, you know, I woke up with that feeling of relief that I didn't have to be there and that I could help other people get out yeah. Um, of this place where they were, you know, unable to, you know, to open that door. And I think, you know, I felt grateful. I shared that with a couple of friends who, you know, were there with me <laughs> 20 years ago, yeah. you know, when all of this happened. And, um, and I felt like, you know, what we're, 
what we're able to do is not only get out and find food mm -hmm. um, and, you know, leave our, our cars in places where we're not trapped, yeah. but we can take other people with us and we can create a place with wider doors Yeah, where we're like, you know, you're not locked in. You're allowed to be curious. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to believe differently. And, you know, you can sit with us and like, we'll hold the door open for you. We're not trying to trap you here. Yeah. And that's what I, I want my kids to always know. You don't, you know, you might believe something different from me, but I don't believe that you'll be lost. Hmm. You know, I believe that you will always be found. Um, and I, you know, I want the doors to be light for them. Hmm. I want them to be able to follow their need for, you know, their hunger. I want them to be able to follow their curiosity and not be trapped behind those heavy doors. It's really beautiful. Yeah. It reminds me of last week when we were talking, you were saying the, it reminded you of the, his, his yoke is easy. His burden mm -hmm. is light. Learn, come and, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We've done historically, we've just done a really great job of loading people up yeah. with a lot of unnecessary baggage. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, and what I was thinking about, what I, the realization, and I guess the aha moment I was having is, I think a lot of times people who are anti-deconstruction are so worried that people are going to move towards like moral relativity or uh, um, spiritual irrelevance or something. But every time we hear a story from somebody like that, it's it's actually so value-laden mm -hmm. it's it's not like you're being like you know we're going to open this door and nothing matters anymore it's that these humans matter yes and you know jesus said it's for freedom's sake i have set you free was what was kind of in my head when you were talking it your story of deconstruction is not one of moral relativity uh, in yeah. fact, it's quite the opposite, right? It's, it's yeah. these, this great conviction of a shared value of Jesus, which is freedom. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't even explain freedom. Freedom is freedom, you know, and that's why I've come. And so I don't know. I don't want to comment too much other than I'm just super beautiful. And, and I'm realizing that people like you who are entering deconstruction, like your first story, are doing so because you're being pulled into it through love. And um, that's an awesome dream. I'm very jealous of your dreams. <laughs> My dreams are silly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, some of mine are too. But you can tell the difference. Yeah. yeah. It's like this one means something and that one was pizza. <laughs> oh, man. Pizza's got to mean something. It's too good. <laughs> that's what my son thinks. Oh, man. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that's a pretty outstanding image to, to end on. Sure. So um, thanks for sitting down with us yeah. and, yeah. and being so vulnerable and open. It was, uh, I don't know what I learned, but I think I've, I've, I was feeling <laughs> of like I've learned so much um, yeah. and none of it has to do with Agape the Clown, although she was always there. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could have back in that day emailed her at iagapeyou at yahoo.com. <laughs>
this. <laughs> the only thing that would have been better was it was at hotmail.com. <laughs> yeah. Or or uh, MySpace. Oh man, was it I Agape the letter U? Or was yes. it Y O U? Oh no. Was it you? I can't remember now. I think it was uh, Y-O-U. It's just great. Classic? It's just great. Yeah. Uh, seriously, <laughs> I I feel I feel richer for this conversation and for sure. uh, super grateful that you were uh, so brave to come and talk to us. And yeah. you know what Matt and, Matt and I want from this podcast more than anything is like we have feel like this great privilege of hearing such beautiful stories like this and because – we're on staff. We don't have a, the rest of Highland's mm-hmm. body is not um, privileged to these conversations. And so I think you've just blessed Highland so much by sharing all that. And yeah. um, I'm glad people have gotten to know you better. And so. we are grateful that you are a part of Highland. Yeah. Thank you. I am too. And Highland has been very healing for me. Awesome. Yeah. That's really encouraging to hear. And um, I feel like it's kind of cool to think that those questions that those young people asked you so long ago are still echoing and they're still now they're, now they're blessing whoever's going to listen to this podcast because they, they dared to ask questions. They gave us permission to ask questions. And yeah. uh, I think the Psalms are such wonderful example of God is not afraid of our big questions and we can ask those and we can sometimes shout those. And, yeah. Um, I'm really grateful that you, 20-year-old version of you, listen to those. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Too.